when you go to these meetings, you greet, you meet, you talk, you take, you worship together, you put these statements about how, oh, we differ, we disagree, but we're so, we love each other as brothers and sisters. And all that does is it lets the wolves with the collars on continue to feed on the sheep. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. Matt, you're camping. Haven't you had enough vacation? <laughs> yeah, well, this is the vacation from the children because the children are oh. with us. Oh, uh, we were with them for three weeks in Europe, and now we're just going to be letting them uh, fend for themselves. Go feral, viral, uh, feral, feral, not viral, viral, feral, feral. feral. <laughs> and JD, you're actually in your new house in Hilton Head. How's how's we all that going? We, it's great. We drove in uh, last night, actually. So um, we're just up to our necks in boxes right now, but. Um, yeah, so I officially started on Monday, but there's a month uh, or so overlap with Greg Kronz, the outgoing retiring rector. So, um, yeah, it'll be a good month, just kind of um, getting the lay of the land and, um, you know, obviously celebrating Greg and his work here. We're looking forward to the next step. So, yeah, yeah new day. Very cool. Well, guys, the big news in the Anglican world is the Lambeth Conference that is going on right now. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. I'm sure lots of things will happen and statements will be made between now and when we post this on Friday morning, but we're going to try to talk about the big stuff. Obviously, there's the perennial clash between liberal and conservative Anglicans. I saw the Episcopal News Service had a headline yesterday that read, Episcopal bishops reject conservative Anglican same-sex marriage ultimatum. Huge distraction for Lambeth. So primates are writing articles. Lambeth calls are being revised. And then you have the ACNA on the outside wondering if it's even worth looking in. So, Matt, you've got big Anglican conference experience. You've been to various Episcopal General Conventions, GAFCON, even a Lambeth conference before. So why don't you tell us and our listeners what the Lambeth conference is and why it's at least theoretically important. And then we can talk about what's going on at this one. Well, it's a gathering of all of the Anglican, all the bishops in the Anglican communion from every province, or it's supposed to be anyway. Um, and they... there's Anglican provinces all over the world. Right. There's yeah, every everywhere the English Empire was, they left behind a, an English province, an a, a Anglican province, and uh, or to and, where they sent missionaries to. True. And so these bishops gather once every ten years. It was supposed to be, and it's the the Lambeth Conference is one of the the instruments of, of communion unity or union instruments of union. Um, in the communion, the Archbishop Canterbury is the other one. The Anglican uh, Communion Office is or not office. Uh, Anglican Consultative Council. Thank you. Is the other one, and um, and the Primates meeting is another. Uh, so it's it's very important, and in fact, it's at the la at the the most important decision that the Anglican Communion has taken as a, as a body, at least as far as the the most relevant uh, concerns that we have right now are. Uh, it took place in 98 at Lambeth when the when all the bishops gathered and they put out 
a resolution. They, they agreed on a resolution that said that any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, uh, in particular homosexual activity, is sinful. Um, and uh, that that became the that became that resolution became the battleground for the next. Yeah. Uh, it still is. And well, and, yes, <laughs> for the next. Right, yes. Right. Right. And so and that's and it's, it's going to be fin- featuring in this the, the 2022 Lambeth conference where people are coming in ready to ready to uh, express their uh, disapproval of it, disagreement of it. So what kind of legislative authority does the Lambeth Conference have? I'm finding myself as an Anglican having to try to describe how our communion works to people who are either used to just congregational churches or to multinational corporations that have a real sort of hierarchical structure. And this is not really like either one of those. That's the, that was, that's the thing, you know, in 98, when this resolution was passed, the hope was that it was going to be an enforceable resolution that the bishops were going to go and buy by abide by that resolution. Um, and it turned out that, that didn't happen. 2020, 2003 actually uh, was when Gene Robinson was consecrated a bishop or elected and then consecrated a bishop of New Hampshire. And he was a partner at gay man. And that, that set off the crisis uh, in the communion where we were deciding Communities deciding whether or not it was going to enforce Lambeth 98, yeah. and we said no, we're not going to. There, there, there were, of course, some some remedial actions taken by the Archbishop of Canterbury. I think uh, in in, um, in the 2008 Lambeth, Gene Robinson was not invited. He came anyway. <laughs> he, wasn't, uh, he, he, he wasn't invited. Um, and but the but the hope and the part of the the Orthodox party had always been that the Archbishop Archbishop of Canterbury would exercise the only kind of authority he has, which is the authority of invitation, and revoke the invitation offered to the Episcopal Church, the Church of Canada, or any church that violated uh, Lambeth ninety eight. The primates meetings um, after the. Uh, after Gene Robinson's consecration, we're all focused on the conservative primates trying to get the Archbishop of Canterbury to to draw that kind of line. There was what many people thought was a breakthrough in 2007 in Dar es Salaam yeah. primates meeting, uh, where uh, then Archbishop of Canterbury Rowan Williams agreed to a very strong uh, statement that uh, indicated that that there would be. A ramifications with regard to invitations to uh, Episcopal Church bishops, but that wasn't acted on, and that's that's the fatal flaw in the Anglican Communion. Unless the Archbishop of Canterbury acts on on legislation, then there's no real nothing. Can, nothing they can get together to this this point and vote, and or they're not going to vote. They're going to express their opinions. But I don't know if they're going to do. Yeah, but. <laughs> do a lot of hand wringing. There's gonna be some very, yeah. very solemn hand wringing. I think what 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 the Gathcon primates and bishops have realized finally is that the Anglican Communion, it, 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 it's a, there's not there's nothing there. <laughs> there's no there it's, there. Right. Well, exactly. it's pathetic. I mean, that that's what um I, I'm in. I'm not finished with it yet, but I'm reading the book that Aka, Peter Akinola wrote, "Who Blinked First? It's a fascinating book about his sort of the lead up to '98 and then the aftermath. And there's this this sort of sad hat tip to um, 
you know, conciliarism, you know, where the the bishops say that they're going to be mutually submissive, submissive and, you know, um, show deference and talk about how the spirit will speak through the body and all this stuff. And yet, as we've seen, the moment the actual uh, deliberative process doesn't go the direction that particularly the Western, quote unquote, bishops want, then they just flaunt it. And they say, well, oh, no, actually, the spirit is now speaking primarily through me exclusively. Um, and I will speak for the entire global communion because I mean, I'm even reading, I don't know if you saw John Taylor. I don't know what bishop, he's an Episcopal bishop. You know, everyone was so um, upset because this call on the quote unquote human dignity that came out was going to basically just force bishops to be honest. Like that's all it was going to say. It's like, it was going to say yes or no. Do you think the church spoken in 1998 um, the bishop spoke rightly or wrongly, yes or no. And it was going to force people to finally put their miter where their mouth is. <laughs> and um, and all of these people freaked out because they, you know, there, there wasn't any nuance. You know, there wasn't any, um, you know, it was too bald or too, um, too uh, black and white. And, you know, so the Episcopal bishops, you know, were freaking out, calling it a, a quote unquote bait and switch because, you know, they were going to be on record is having gone, um, you know, essentially blast from the Holy Spirit by voting uh, directly contrary to what God's word clearly says about um, human sexuality and marriage. And it's just, it's, you know, laughable. It, it wouldn't be, I don't know what you do other than cry at this point. You know, it's like the, what's that BBC, um, the, uh, what was it? Yes, Prime Minister. Remember that scene, you know, where the, they're pointing the new uh, Archbishop of Canterbury and it was all about, you know, his political views and one who was a communist or one. Oh, and he wasn't even a this man doesn't even believe in God. He's like, what? Yeah, you know, and it was, you know, and that was 35, 40 years ago. And, yeah. you know, these people saw through it then. And if we can't see through it now, then we're just not we're being willfully blinded to what is just such an obvious farce and this is you know god bless the the global um the the primates who are trying to just get some clarity on this issue uh trying to push this forward you know i, I respect them greatly um like the uh, archbishop uh, monir anis you know is writing as 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 politely as he could essentially saying if we don't call this thing what it is then we need to we need to admit that the the project is is fatally flawed at this point you know i thought that was a, essentially what he was saying if we can't we can't agree as a as a church on the nature and authority of scripture the god's design for human sexuality and the uniqueness of christ like what are we even talking about and um and i think that's what this this whole uproar over over what was going to simply be them being forced to take the responsibility of the leadership that they have risen to um, for better or worse and, and lead their people, you know, and that's, that's when, then that's sort of the sad tragedy of the, of the Episcopal quote unquote bishops too, is that, you know, they have aspired to this position of um, sort of over shepherd of these people in these, these, these churches. And yet when they're given the opportunity to even lead with conviction in a direction that I wouldn't go, they almost rarely do. You know, it's rare the actual bishop who says, you know, actually, this is what I believe in this. I mean, that's why, again, not that I have any affection for Bishop Spong, but at the very least, you knew where he stood and what he uh, didn't stand for. And there was a certain appreciative clarity to that, even in the midst of its, you know, rank heresy. And so I don't... I don't know. I mean, it's it, it was disappointing to me. I read this morning it's, as I sent you guys and I'm, I'm sure it will change again by the time this comes out, but that they've already changed the wording of that particular call 
on human dignity to make it much more nuanced and much more sort of took all the teeth out of it so that now you could say, well, even though some people around the world still disagree with us, we will walk together in unity and, you know, singing Kumbaya and, you know, give the world a Coke sort of thing. And, um, you know, that will last uh, just as long as that, you know, the ink will dry, you know, that on, on that paper. I mean, the, the meaningfulness of it. And we'll be back to the same position we've been in, at least as far as I can tell, since I was in college, you know, since since Lambeth 98. You know, I was in college and when I met Liza and I was appalled that somebody uh, was in the Episcopal Church, you know, her dad very politely gave me a prayer book and a copy of Lambeth 98 and said, you know, this is a church worth fighting for still, and this is why. And it's been, what, 24 years since then now, and um, nothing has changed, except for that what purports as conversation is actually just being revealed as cowardice. I mean, that's what's happened, is that, you know, join the conversation, the dialogue, let's, let's you know, get all the task force and the Windsor report and all of the various, um, you know, communiques and indaba and all of that actually turns out to have been people writing out their uh, bishoprics uh, on the way to retirement with a fat pension. Like that's, that's all it's been. And it's been hard to watch, harder to live in. And thank God we're not in it anymore. Let me just interject really quickly with a couple of vocabulary notes uh, before you respond, Matt. One, the word primate. Um, each province has an archbishop, and the another word for that archbishop is primate. And so the primate's meeting is the meeting of all of the archbishops from each province. Um, the other word to define, I think, is this idea of a call that the Lambeth conference puts out calls. They're akin to resolutions or statements. And it used to be that they were just statements of the conference that everybody, whether or not they privately agreed with them, they were statements that once you voted, it was the statement of the, of the church. Now they've added a thing apparently that primates can say that this particular call does not speak for me. So that's new this year. You can sort of reject um, even putting your name pro or con on a call. So I, I just wanted to say what those words meant. Now, Matt, go ahead and respond to what JD was saying. Yeah, which all, that that in itself just undercuts any kind of authority the Lambeth meeting might right. have. Right. You can come from a, a meeting like that. I mean, imagine imagine the bishops gathering at Nicaea and saying, you know, we're going to put together this creed, but you're welcome in your province and your diocese to just not, yeah, not do it. <laughs> Sorry, but just, you're still one of us. <laughs> you're yeah. still one of us, right? So this is that's this is one reason I've been I've been since 2007. And, and the Dar es Salaam debacle saying that Orthodox bishops should refuse to meet. They should not go to these meetings because um, I, I, the counter argument is, well, we go, we talk, maybe we can win. No, you don't win. You go and even the best outcome, the bishops just go back and do their own thing. The primates just go back and do their own thing. You don't, you never win. You're never going to win this. And instead what you're doing is you're adding legitimacy to those bishops to those bishops who are promoting uh, this kind of sexual perversion. You go to these meetings, you greet, you meet, you talk, you take, you worship together, you put these statements about how, oh, we differ, we disagree, but we're so, we love each other as brothers and sisters. And, and, and all that does is it lets the wolves with the collars on continue to feed on the sheep without any kind of, and they can point to their, their they can point to the Orthodox bishops participating 
meetings as legit as as look even these guys recognize that we are legitimate bishops and our position even though they disagree with us is one within the pale of the orthodoxy or the pale of the church and and so right. we have that, that this is precisely why we it's why we have bishops john says in his second letter do not even offer a greeting to yeah. someone who's ahead and who's, who's thrown over the apostles teaching because if you do that you participate in their wicked work and every single well, and that's, who's going to that meeting is participating in this wicked work of their other their colleagues yeah and and then and then what it does is it throws the it throws the conflict down amongst the sheep you know whereas the shepherds yeah. are those people who are supposed to be the ones duking it out and building the fences and so then all of a sudden your disagreement with the particular quote unquote marriage equality idea or whatever is um is your own petition or personal opinion yeah. because your bishop has already said that like well you know brothers can agree to disagree or whatever it is and so it's it's actually what's contributed to the splintering of not just individual not just the denominations but individual churches because then all of a sudden you know who wants to be the outlier who seems to be at like more you know what parishioner wants to be more contentious than their bishop than their rector you know like what's wrong with you like you're just you know what are you some sort of hot-headed pres- presbyterian now you know or whatever it is like what you know we're episcopalians we're anglicans you know we don't we're, we're more into liturgy and beauty than we are into division and schism you know and that's what you're into right and i mean it's just been heartbreaking to watch and you know frankly i can speak and as we all can as people both parishioners and as rectors under bishops like this, and is now, you know, rectors in charge of, of shepherding other people's souls and their families and protecting them from this. And I think this is what um, I agree with you, Matt. I mean, I think it's it, even, it, you know, I, I respect and, and affirm the bishops who refuse to go. I remember picking up one of the African bishops from um, who was here for new wineskins a couple of years ago, and I was driving him back from Camp St. Christopher, and he was talking about Lambeth, and I just sort of politely asked him, um, you know, well, did you go or not? He says, oh, no, I, I definitely did not go. And I said, well, Bishop, you know, had you said yes, I would be very polite. But now that you said no, I have to say, you know, I wholeheartedly affirm that I'm grateful for your witness because, you know, it's hard enough to keep Americans from from jaw dropping and eyes blowing out of their head at the idea of Buckingham Palace. You know, I mean, it's hard for anyone. And you sit there and you say, you know, here's people that have faced real persecution, real trouble real uh, opposition to their Christian convictions in the middle of, um, you know, hostile territory. And they're the ones who can see clearly directly through this. And they say, if we, you know, if we, if we show up, if we're, if we're seen, then we are um, tacitly giving approval to something which God has, um, has not allowed us to do as leaders in his church. And so, you know, I, I wish that there were more of a, of a opposition, a more of an uproar than there even is, but but then again, why would we expect anything different this year than has been the case for, for some 20 plus years now? Yeah, on the other side, just ima- imagine if every single bishop who held the orthodox position on sexuality just refused to go. I mean, that, that, would, that, right. would, make, that would make a great sign. Well, and great- it's the majority. It's the majority by far. By far. Yeah, yeah it would, it would, it would, then the illegitimacy of the Lambeth Conference and of the communion itself would be on display. But the problem is you have the remaining quote-unquote orthodox bishops in the Episcopal Church uh, have already compromised themselves. I mean, they're already on, they have to be, to remain in office, they have to facilitate same-sex marriage in their diocese. So they've already compromised. They've already already agreed to let 
wolves come in and devour their sheep. So why wouldn't they go to the Lambeth conference? I mean, they, they, but now they've they, expressed concern, Matt, that they've expressed there's concern. a lot of concern. Yeah. So yeah, it's so, it's so that touches my heart, um, but, <laughs> but now they have the opportunity uh, if they were to, if they were to go and make a huge stink and say, this, this takes you guys, uh, blessing same sex marriages, you're outside of the, the, you're outside of the orthodox, outside of orthodoxy that now delegitimates their position because they're busy facilitating these marriages in their, okay. in their so they so they they put themselves in a position they so compromise themselves that they can't do anything but embrace those who are leading people into sexual sin as brothers and sisters and uh with whom we disagree and boy this is kind of like our disagreements with the baptists about drinking wine you know sometimes we just I mean, they're, 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 they've, they've so, so compromised themselves that they're any kind of stand they take on this issue is, well, they can't, they can't take a stand on this issue. The other bishops who go, like the people from Kenya, people from Uganda, yeah, okay, they've been consistent and they don't, they don't have anything going on that's compromised themselves necessarily in their, in their provinces. So there's that thing with the woman bishop in Kenya. But aside from that, on this issue of sexuality, they're, they're not compromised. So they can go and, and say something strong, but I still think it's a violation of, of John 2. And I still think that by going every single time these conferences happen, by the primates participating in the, in the primates meeting, they are they're just adding legitimacy to it. Whereas if the gaff, if, if all these Orthodox bishops who were in non-compromised dioceses and provinces would come to GAFCON, join GAFCON, uh, form a, a second structure, a legitimate structure where, where resolutions are made and kept, where you form a, a different, form another communion. I mean, a, a actual a church yeah. discipline is exercised yeah. if necessary. <laughs> where, where honesty is prioritized mm-hmm. over duplicity. You know, these are just sort of, you know, novel ideas. Um, so this, this actually leads me to the next thing that I wanted to ask you guys about. I, I actually just had a conversation about this with a newcomer to church yesterday who was wondering about the ACNA's relationship to the worldwide Anglican communion and just sort of as a brief, admittedly simplistic history in the late 2000s when the ACNA was forming, there was some energy, I think, behind the idea that the ACNA as an Orthodox Anglican province should replace the Episcopal church as the officially sanctioned expression of worldwide Anglicanism in America. I don't, I sort of feel like the energy behind that idea has been subsiding. Um, certainly from what you and JD have just been saying, Matt, I'm pretty sure I know how you guys feel, but um, what are some of the theoretical pros and cons to the ACNA trying to, replace the Episcopal Church as the, quote, in communion partner province with Anglicanism worldwide? That was my deeply desired outcome back in 2000, from 2003 to 2007. That's what I thought could happen. And I, I wrote lots of articles about it. I, was, I thought this, if we can form a province, the promise, uh, ACNA wasn't formed until 2009, but uh, if we can form a province, um, and then get the majority of the, the primates in the primates meeting, the majority of the bishops at Lambeth to uh, to to force the archbishop's hand into recognizing us. Then that that would be complete and total victory. We would we would have overthrown the Episcopal Church's claims to be Anglican and all all that. It would have been it would have been in the in the Anglican. I think if that had happened, the Anglican communion would have saved itself. Would have righted itself. The ship would have would have 
it's taking it's now about to sink but it was taking on water then but it would have been able to pump out the bilges and everything would have been fine so you still but, think that if that had happened it would have had salvific effect i do think if okay. that had and it, because it would be it would have been it would have been actual it's a very loud statement yeah a very loud statement. Now, though, I don't think there's any possibility of that happening at all. I mean, it, because uh, JD said a minute ago that nothing's changed since 2008, but, but things have changed. I mean, the, 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 as far as the numbers go, almost all of the Western provinces, north Northwestern provinces, the, the, the European and North American provinces are co- totally compromised on this issue. And, and so, whereas before it was just the Episcopal Church. Now it's the Church of Canada, Scotland, Ireland, I think. You, you got Wales, me. Everywhere you look, this is compromising. The Church of England is about to fall itself. So there's no possible way there's no possible is replaced in the Anglican Communion. And and I think that it, there there still are people who want to be part of the Anglican Communion, and I think that's that's the most wrongheaded. I, 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 I remember being not a phone call with a guy who's pretty high up in the informal power structure of the ACA, uh, who was really upset with me because I was trying to push people not, I was, I was pushing hard against this idea in some of my, my articles. And he, he just said, I need to be quiet because this is, this is our only chance for legitimacy um, is being part of the communion. Otherwise, we're just going to be like, uh, you know, just a, we're going to be reduced to one of those. Like a continuing church. Yeah, like we're bishops in our garages and, you know, meeting with two people in, in 20 years. And I, I, I don't care. I mean, I, first of all, that's not, that hasn't happened and it's not going to happen. But, but second of all, I don't care. We, the last thing, the most harmful and damaging thing for the Anglican, for the ACNA right now would be to part of the, be part of the Anglican communion because it would be with the Episcopal church. They wouldn't knock each other out. Um, and it would, it would only add strength and power to those voices within the ACNA who are already leaning leftward. Now they can be fraternized with Episcopal bishops Episcopalian bishops who are pro or gay affirming, whatever, they can fraternize with these guys and and risks no censure from other ACNA bishops because, hey, we're all in the same community anyway. So it'd be the worst possible thing for the ACNA to do. It seems like the best case scenario for people who are advocating that would be to be welcomed into the communion and then, then immediately refuse to attend any of the meetings. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, that that, that that can work. But that's not what they want. They want they want right. I mean, they they want they they see the communion as the, the pinnacle of I keep using this word, but the pinnacle of legitimacy, the pinnacle yeah. of ecclesial uh acceptability. And and the the thing is the communion was only set up in the in the nineteenth century. It's 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 not a that's right. it, it's not a it doesn't go back to um, it doesn't go back to the Elizabethan settlement. It doesn't go back to, there just wasn't anything like it. There wasn't anything like it until the 19th century. So there's, there's no way that it actually has uh, the historic, even the historical weight that people want to give to it. Well, and I think it's just, it's still hard. I mean, having spent, you know, I'm sure people have, they have disagreed with me, but having spent first six years in the Church of England, I mean, albeit in the Diocese of Europe, um, I mean, the idea that that there's any life there at all. I mean, I know there are pockets of life and I know that there are, you know, there are faithful people and we can make all the caveats. But the idea that your average that that your average English person or part or even broader part of the Commonwealth um, has any 
um, anything but sort of a, a passing knowledge of their local vicar, much less an active uh, participation in the life of the church is just laughable. And so, you know, the idea that we're, I mean, again, I, I'd, I'd like for us, to, I think it was really interesting what you said, Matt, if, if we had made that move back in 2008, um, you know, if the archbishop had followed through, you know, because we were over in Europe at that point, and I kind of felt a sense of, um, uh, you know, there was a there was a sense of, of joy that the Episcopal Church, I thought, was being rightly chastened, and perhaps there was going to be a way out of this. And the most tragic thing about that, too, is that we were on the forefront, like we could have actually been the church that was showing people how to prepare and inoculate and, and, and support their people for what we now see, uh, what we saw, but what we now see is just a global sort of overthrow of any kind of um, residual Christendom with respect to uh, human sexuality. And so we had it all there. And there was, you know, it's like um, in Braveheart and Robert the Bruce, you know, whatever, you know, there was a moment where it could have been. And then we had all of these, uh, this collective concerning cowards just decided to uh, indaba. And the next thing we know is here we are. And so, you know, I don't feel particularly strongly one way or another about it, other than the fact that I think if that if we were invited to be a part of it, we should turn it down because that would sort of be that that would be the best, you know, sort of statement. But I do think, you know, as we look ahead, um, the places that around the world that look to the ACNA, you know, the provinces that in the, the archbishops that are uh, consider Archbishop Foley to be um, the the spokesperson for Orthodox Anglicanism in North America are the people for whom I have deep affection and the ones whose opinion I certainly care about. You know, if we get out of line with some of these provinces as a as a diocese and as a province of our own, I'd be much more concerned than whatever the 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 call. Uh, judgment on the ACNA was or whatever sort of, you know, the communion partners were wringing their hands about something that one of our um, ACNA people said or didn't say, like, that means almost nothing to me. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, for instance, as we talked about a couple of months ago, like when the the um, quote unquote gay Anglican letter came out as part of our ACNA church, you know, all of a sudden there were there were alarm bells all over the global south or, or at least GAFCON. And I was grateful for that. Like, that's the type network, that's the type oversight and uh, mutual accountability that I think we will flourish under. And so we're still in the beginnings of this, relatively speaking, in terms of a province and an age. But, you know, the bones are strong, as we've said. The oversight is there. The conviction in the, is there. And the fire under courage has already, or courage under fire, excuse me, has already been established. And those are the people whose relationships we um, are grateful for and the ones whose um, affirmation we seek, uh, not the, you know, the people who are continuing to play, you know, it's like a 16th century cosplay, like Victorian cosplay over in, um, over in Buckingham Palace. And, you know, you might as well have uh, Yes Prime Minister, um, people writing the script for you at this point, because it's, you know, art imitating life, imitating comedy. So um, I agree with you. So I have another question, you guys. So we've mentioned an organization called CAFCON a couple times. That stands for the Global Anglican Futures Conference, which was a conference at the beginning. Now an organization is CAFCON set up in a way to be able to do the kinds of things that the worldwide Anglican communion couldn't. Like if a province were to start to slip could there be discipline that would actually work or have we sort of set ourselves up in the same way where we risk impotency in the face of theological struggle? 
I mean, anything can happen. The the binding, the document that binds us all together in GAFCON is the Jerusalem Jerusalem Declaration, which is an explicit rejection of the uh, the sexual heresy and an affirmation of, of orthodoxy with regard to marriage and other things too, the gospel in general. So theoretically, if that document binds as our confession, should a, a province decide to weaken on that commitment, theoretically, uh, there's there's what's called the, the, the GAFCON has an executive committee of uh, primates meet and recommend expulsion. And uh, there could be theoretically a vote on that. Now, there's, I, I, was at, I was at the GAFCON, and I were at the GAFCON 2018 meeting in Jerusalem, and we also went to the one in 2008. Either the, there, there weren't any votes. I'm sorry, the, the Jerusalem Declaration, when the Jerusalem Declaration was formed, when it was set up, there were there's votes. There were some business done in 2018. Remember that, Dan? Um, there was some business done then. So I do think it's I do think that there's a there's a conscious movement toward making this a kind of enabling this the meeting the GAFCON meeting and the executive council to have some some clout to it. Um, it's not fully formed yet. It does need to. I think there's I think I think ideally it would come to the, come to a kind of a communion structure that would enable both discipline and you know to be both just both disciplinary action um and you know collective action on certain causes and and uh and issues but we're not quite there yet i think that some people would wonder if that was a valuable goal i mean we are in a a structural church where um the rector and vestry have some authority over a local church the bishop and council have authority over a diocese, the archbishop has some authority over province. Therefore, we would naturally think that they need some authority over them too. Is that sort of what you're saying? I mean, I don't think it could ever be, I, I don't, I mean, not in the same way. I mean, I, for example, my bishop has pastoral authority over me, his spiritual authority over me. If I if I do something wrong, he not only says, "Okay, well, Good Shepherd is no longer part of our diocese," but I, he could he could take my collar away, right? So I don't I don't think that Gafcon will necessarily have that kind of power over participant provinces, but I think it would have the power to do what the Archbishop of Canterbury could could have done, which is say, "Okay, if you're going to go that route, you're no longer part of Gafcon," and so you can you can you know call yourself what you want, but you're no longer part of the union, um, which is ultimately the, the greatest. I, I, I wouldn't want Gafcon to take on more power than that. <laughs> well, that's what St. Paul, St. Paul seems to have that as the end of the disciplinary process, right? Like the end of it is we treat you like an unbeliever, which means we continue to preach the gospel to you. We that's want right, to, right, we want right. to welcome you home, but, yeah. but saying that you are you not part of our, Right. But saying that part that you are not part of our fellowship is the end of the process. One kind of test of this has been the woman, woman ordained as bishop and uh, or consecrated as bishop in Kenya, because a number that was kind of a, a, a at least a gentleman's agreement. I can't remember if it was if it was, if it was ever something in writing, but there was a gentleman's agreement that wouldn't happen within Gafcon because because so many provinces found that to be intolerably. And Orthodox in our own province doesn't has it constitutionally something that can't happen. So, so when it did happen, 
there was, I know there was some, a lot of back channel discussions going on between Kenya and the other provinces, but that that hadn't changed anything. I mean, she's, the woman's still considered a bishop, I think. And, um, and so that, that's, to me, that's, that's a warning sign that that doesn't bode well for the future, but my hope is that that's only an anomaly. Um, and, and, and of course the, the provinces are, of GAFCON are in disagreement about the place of women in ministry, whereas we're not in disagreement about homosexuality yet. Well, I'll say this, that I think as unpleasant as the past 24 years have been since Lambeth 98, in a certain sense, um, the clarity that uh, was seen there, and then which has been um, working its way through the rotted corpses of these various churches, um, is has been something um, I think ultimately, um, you know, hundred years from now or whatever, uh, is going to have been seen as a very pivotal moment in the life of the church. Is that this non inconsequential issue like marriage, which we talked about last week, which uh, wraps up together all of these incredible Christian convictions about the authority of Scripture, the nature of creation, the revelation of God in and through our bodies, and so on and so forth that this presenting issue um, really was the litmus test or the, the linchpin that held Christian orthodoxy together. And when it was pulled, people rightly sounded the alarm, you know, centuries ago when, when you know, sort of the French Revolution, I mean, it was even then, then the people of the French Revolution saw this, you know, one of the first things to go was the overthrow of quote unquote sexual morality, you know, the priests and the, and, um, and all of the people in the, the revolutionary saw that at, if you could overthrow this, the quote unquote binary, if you could get rid of this, um, these outdated restrictions on your um, desires, well, then you know, all bets were off. And so we've, we are now watching the recalibration of the church global, not just the Anglican communion, but I mean, the Methodist church, the Baptist, the Presbyterians, like all the churches are being reset and reformed around the central conviction of the Christian hope, which is that God has spoken, has created, and has uh, redeemed the ruin brought about uh, by the fall. And so um, this is what we're talking about. And it happens to do with, with marriage, which some people find, um, you know, confusing at best, but nevertheless, um, we understand why this is such a big deal. And I'm grateful for the fact that people have um, had their eyes opened slowly, perhaps, but, but decisively in many cases around the world and look forward to when the dust settles to have a much clearer sense of who our brothers and sisters in Christ um, in genuine communion by the power of the spirit, whatever particular ecclesial body they're connected to, uh, whether it's, you know, Lutherans in South Africa or Baptists in, in um, Kenya or, you know, Catholics in Asia, for goodness sakes. Like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, those differences will remain, but they will be subsumed under a greater unity found in people who have actually um, stood against the spirit of the age. And so that's where you know, whether it's 2024 and we finally make the decisive break or there's some sort of decisive statement. I mean, you know, this will take some more time to work itself out, but the lines are drawn. I mean, they were given to us, you know, 2000 years ago, at the very least, um, in the words of Paul, witnessing to resurrect the Lord. And we're just not going to be able to change them. And so we'll we'll continue to have these unpleasant conversations and in Daba and all of the calls will be voted or not voted on. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I look forward to the time when we can sit in genuine communion and just be grateful that God has in fact spoken and we have been given the courage to stand um, on his word in the midst of uh, the storms, uh, whatever they may come. Well, we certainly pray for church leaders the world over, as you say, that um, they would submit themselves to the word of God that exists and proclaim it in its clarity to the churches that they serve. Um, we do thank you for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Koch and to Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.